think you've probably worked out from our selection of hymns and readings tonight that our subject tonight is, Are You Walking With God? A searching question as to whether we have a walk at all. The Christian walk is with God, or it's not at all. So that's the question tonight, this picture of our walk. There's many postures and metaphors used in God's word to describe life. You can think of the description of sitting, very often used of the wicked, those who don't know Christ. It's a posture of inactivity, a posture of scorn, it's a posture of being bound, unable to move. Think of these verses, Psalm 26, 5. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Sitting, a picture of darkness. There's another one, Psalm 107, verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. We don't want to be like that tonight. Sitting, a place far from God, bound in darkness and with those who scorn and mock the gospel. Well, more positively, sometimes the Christian life is described as standing. Standing. Standing and taking something in. Something that maybe we know, but we've forgotten. Maybe getting perspective, standing up and seeing the world as it really is. Standing and learning and relearning who God is and what he's done. Think of these verses, some of them familiar. Exodus 14, 13. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If we sit, we can't see it. We need to stand up. And stand still and see what the Lord has already done. There's another, 1 Samuel 12, 7. Stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your father. Stand up, look back, see what the Lord has already done. You can be confident that on the basis of what he has done, he'll do it again, and he still has the same power. Another one, Job 37, 14. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. And then, again, very familiarly in Ephesians 6, 13. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to to withstand. Soldiers don't sit. Athletes don't often sit. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. A position of strength. A position that we're called to take sometimes. Well, the third metaphor is to run. That's a good one. There are times when we have to run, run and don't turn back. Run with speed and purpose the Christian life. 
standing is no good. If you've got the gospel in your hands, there's no point standing. We need to run. We need to go quickly with our feet and use them to take the gospel. It's the language of the soldier. The soldier that needs to put that armor on and then to engage in the battle. And it's the analogy of the one who is an athlete. Here's a few verses. Here's a man who had good news. Then said Ahimeaz, son of Zadok, let me now run. There the king will have tidings how the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. He was telling David good news that his enemies had been defeated. Oh, here's a lovely verse. Psalm 18, 29. For by thee have I run through a troop, through an army. By my God I have leapt over a wall. When there was a danger, there was enemies. The psalmist says he ran and he escaped from his enemies. And then Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Sitting, no, that's no good. Standing, that's good. Running, that's even better, perhaps. But what about our walk? It's simple, isn't it? A walk? So simple. And yet very challenging as a picture. Let's turn to look then at this picture tonight. There were only three people directly in the Word of God who it said they walked with God. Can you think who they are? We've read them. There is Enoch, there is Noah, maybe you've missed it, but Levi. They all walked with God. That's a high epitaph to have. They didn't just run, but they walked. They walked <coughs> with God. It was said of Abraham that he and his son Isaac were to walk before God. And in Genesis 48, 15, it says that they did walk before God. Let's look at these three closely together. Genesis 5 is the first. We read it. It's very instructive if you look carefully at the words. Genesis 5, 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. He begat sons and daughters. Well, the striking thing here is he walked with God not after he had a family, but whilst he had a family. Genesis 5, 22. He had Methuselah, him and his wife, and then for 300 years he had more sons and daughters. Walking with God in family life, that's hard. You have children, it's a struggle. I think in many ways you can be married for a year or two or longer. <coughs> when children come along, it tests your marriage, tests your character, tests your patience, tests many things, tests the bank balance, tests your friendships, tests your families. 
of Enoch. He walked with God. And after he started to walk with God, and it seems to suggest that happened for 300 years, he had more children and more children and more children. What a good thing it would be if we don't wait until we're retired to walk with God, but we start walking closely with God, maybe when we need him most, when we have children that stretch us, and children that test us. Verse 24, it says it again. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. From the time he had Methuselah to the time he was translated, as we say. He was taken. He didn't die. Enoch was a preacher, a preacher of righteousness, it tells us elsewhere. He became a preacher whilst he was a family man. But what an example for us to walk during the growth of your family as they go from children to teenage and all those different problems come in and all the emotional <coughs> battles and the example that we need to set. Enoch, he walked with God. He'll come on to explain some of the ways in which we can think about that. That's the first one. Enoch, he walked in his family with God. People might think that to walk with God you need to become a monk or a hermit go and live on an island? No. We don't find God only when we're alone. We can find him in the family. We can find him with the family. We can find him perhaps when we need him most, when we have others to be responsible for. We'll turn then to Genesis 6-9. And here's Noah. He finds grace in the eyes of the Lord what's very clear from Noah's life is he was surrounded by wickedness. Let's look at the descriptions here. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God. God considered it to be corrupt. And the earth was filled with violence. We sometimes say that things have got worse and worse. I don't think the time that Noah lived in was better than the time we live in. I think the times that Noah lived in were equally bad. Can we say today that the earth is corrupt? Yes. Can we say it's filled with violence? Yes, but it was then. And it caused the flood. Verse 12, God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Second time. Well, how? All flesh corrupted his way, the way that men and women walked, their conduct. See, the picture of a walk, it's not really about walking, it's about your heart. It's about a state of mind, an attitude. It's about who and what you're doing in life, who you're walking with and what you're doing. Verse 13, God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come, before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Repetition to make the point that Noah, Noah walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He walked before God, 
He was a just man. He wasn't just himself. He was made just because he had faith. And he was perfect in his generations. He was complete. His life wasn't lacking anything. And Noah walked with God. How else could he have survived in such a godless time with only eight believers in the whole world? We think the world is bad. There's eight believers in this room tonight Eight believers in the whole world. No wonder Noah walked with God. That was a close walk. Let's turn then to Malachi and see this third picture. And then we'll come to some lessons to what this means to us. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 4. You shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you that my covenant might be with Levi. The first two, Noah and Enoch, were preachers. This third one, he's a priest, set apart to serve the Lord. He had a special commission. It says, my covenant was with him of life and peace. Levi was a true believer. And we know that because he walks with the Lord. And he had a covenant with his God. I gave them to him, life and peace, for the fear wherewith he feared me. He had faith. He trusted in the Lord. And he reverenced the name of the Lord. He was afraid before my name. That's delightful, isn't it? When we come to worship, do we do that? Do we fear before the name of God and all that he is? Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth. In his job as a priest, he was faithful. As with Noah and Enoch, he was faithful. And iniquity was not found in his lips. He didn't lie. He didn't tell half-truths. He walked with me in peace and equity. Could that be said of me and you? Is there ever any sin upon our lips? Is the law of truth in our mouths? Is that what comes out of our mouths? When we speak to one another, yes, we sometimes have to speak the truth in love, but we pick our time, we pick our manner and our tone. The law of truth was in his mouth, but no sin was on his lips. He set a guard on his mouth. He walked with me. Would the Lord say that of us? Do we walk with him? Do we fear his name? Is everything in our life in the light of God's truth and God's ways and his eye which is upon us? But here's the most significant thing for me. Verse 6. Enoch walked in his family. Noah walked in a wicked generation. But Levi, he had such a witness through his mouth and his lips and his conduct that the effect of it was that he turned many away from sin. He may not have been a preacher, but he was a priest. In his conduct, as one set apart 
there were many people that would have ended up with awful lives, and it seems his testimony <coughs> of his lips and his life caused many others to fear and to trust in the living God. Because he walked with God, he had a witness for God. And that witness worked. It was effective. He was fruitful. He turned many, not one or two. If we could turn many away from sin, as a church and as individuals, what a wonderful thing that would be. Walking in the family, walking in a wicked generation, walking in peace and equity, fairness, justice, Everything he did was just and right. And because of that, the way he conducted himself, because of that, his witness was honored. No point speaking to others and telling them about Christ if your life doesn't match up. It weakens your witness. You speak well of him on the bookstore, and then the following day you let the Lord down. That doesn't work got to speak and to live. He walked with me. His footsteps went to places that were right. His conduct and his manner it exemplified and personified peace and equity. Verse 7, for the priest's lips, Levi, should keep knowledge. He knew about God and he told others and they should seek the Lord at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Are we like Levi? Are we messengers? Do we take the gospel with our life and with our lips? I was talking to one of our members yesterday, visiting her home. She said, years ago, when she was working in a fairly menial job, there was a lady that used to swear every day, foul mouth, not sure as bad as John Bunyan was, but this lady had a foul tongue. But she noticed that this member of this church, she never swore. And one day she asked her. You see, it wasn't what she said, it's what she didn't say. It struck a chord. The lady asked a question, and it began a conversation. The priest's lips should keep knowledge. You see, his life and his mouth, and his message, and his conduct were fitting. Well, I remember a few years ago asking a young man, how is your walk, your Christian walk? I happened to know that he was starting to go out with a girl who was not a Christian. And this wasn't the first time it had happened. There'd been others too didn't really like the question. I asked again, are you walking with the Lord? He really didn't like the question. I saw that he became irritated. It was clear that he'd stopped reading his Bible, he'd stopped worshipping, he'd stopped praying. He was no longer walking with the Lord. Could that happen to me or to you? Could we not walk with the Lord? Closely, let's consider what does it mean to walk with God? 
walk with God as Enoch, Noah, and Levi did. So the first thing is it's an upright walk. You can't walk, as I know, sitting. You can't walk far on all fours. No, it's upright. The walk with God and all three of these are exemplary is to walk upright. The righteous are like the palm tree. They are straight, upright. I've seen lots of palm trees the last few weeks. They're bolt upright. That's what we should be. Not curved and hunched. Pull your shoulders back. Walk straight. Walk tall. (coughs) Because you walk with the King of Kings. He's by your side. We don't need to be hunched. We don't look down to the ground. We walk with him. Thomas Watson said, we should walk above the earth because we're not of the earth. Earthly. We're to walk above the earth because we should have one eye for heaven. Was it Richard Sibbs that said, or it was said of him, that heaven was in him before he was in heaven? Shouldn't our walk be a little like that? We have an eye to heaven. And we don't walk on the earth, we walk above the earth. An upright walk. That was the eye of Noah and Enoch. They were looking to the future, not to the present. They were looking to the time to come. It was an upright walk. Noah was righteous in his generation when all around him were wicked. All around him were corrupt and there was fighting and corruption before his very eyes. An upright walk. Secondly, walking implies progress. Moving forward in life. Not sitting still. Not making the same mistakes again and again. We offend somebody in the church. We've got to learn from that. We say things to one another and we get it wrong. We've got to learn. No, this is a walk of progress. We should be often reflecting upon how we're doing, meditating, self-examination. How am I doing? Two steps forward, one back. No, tomorrow I want to go forward with the Lord, making steady progress with purpose. Noah couldn't wait. He had a job to do. It took 120 years. But his eye was on the day that that boat was finished. When he and his family would be rescued. He had to make progress. There's no point sitting still. There's no point lying down. Yes, we are to occupy till he come. But the word occupy means invest. Use your talents, resources. No, we want this to be a walk of progress. Moving forward with the Lord. How are we doing? Look back. We're coming to the end of a year. This is the final Bible study in this chapel, as far as I know, this year. Have we made progress this year? Have we overcome some of our besetting sins? Have we been more helpful in our families? We had more of a witness than the year before. Well, we want to make progress. Thirdly, 
This is a guided walk. Sometimes you go on those tours. You get somebody that comes along and you don't have to put the headsets on around the museum or the castle, but you have a guide, an expert guide, who tells you all the dates. You go to the museum and you get told everything that you didn't need to know and some of the things you did need to know. But we have the greatest companion. And he tells us what we need to know. He doesn't bother telling us the things that won't be useful in life. <coughs> All the things that people pontificate on about the end times, we don't need to know them all. But he tells us and he guides us and he helps us. Remember as a child going to the dentist. I don't know about you, but as a young person, the dentist filled me with fear, particularly because the dentist I had was called Mr. Savage. Not a great name for a dentist. But when my mother was there, you always knew he couldn't do anything to you, too harmful, because you had a companion looking over, watching. Nothing would happen because mum was there watching over. We have a companion watching over our life, watching over our problems, watching over the family. And he knows all things. He won't allow anything to happen that will hurt us, that will be for our good. This is a guided walk. And daily we're given the instructions that we need. This talking book comes to us just when we need it to. The verses come out. A guided walk. But fourthly, you can't walk with anyone unless you walk in time. When we were away, we were coming back one night and three of the ladies they managed to go ahead with us. They kept on saying, keep up, but we didn't. And soon they were approached by a man and wanted their phones. They managed to shout. I don't know whether it was the lady's fault or ours, but we weren't walking together. We need to walk in time, not behind, not in front, but walking with the Lord. Not like the new recruit in the army out of step, left when it should be right and we need to walk in time with the Lord. Sometimes we, we want to go ahead and the Lord says no, not yet. Just wait. We're in my time. Sometimes we lag behind. Lag behind our husband or our wife. But much worse if you lag behind the Lord and you get left behind. And you're falling short of where you should be. <coughs> Fifthly, we need to walk in his will and in his purpose. We know what to do very often. I think it's very rare in the Christian life where we don't know what we should be doing. The problem is we don't do it. The problem is we don't remember. We don't obey. We don't follow. We seek our will, not his will. The Lord would have us to walk in his will, in his way, guided by his steps. And all we have to do is keep time and follow him. Well, we need to.
to walk with awareness, watching all around. In Ephesians, Paul says, not as fools, but as wise. This is a difficult time to live, isn't it? We have many new challenges. We live in a time when information is readily available. We live in a time where they speak about globalization, but in a sense, information can be transferred at the click of a button. Sometimes that can be good, sometimes it can be bad. Slander and gossip can spread so quickly. We need to be so wise, so wise to live in this generation, in our church, in our homes, and at work. We are to walk with awareness, remembering we're only at best what we are upon our knees at home and when we're in the quiet place. But I think supremely, if you go back to Genesis 6, notice here, <coughs> Genesis 6 and verse 13, the emphasis made in these chapters of how Noah walked. The phrase, Noah walked with God, all sounds very good, but what did that mean? Look at the emphasis, verse 13. And God said to Noah, chapter 7, verse 1, and the Lord said to Noah. Chapter 8, verse 15, and God spoke unto Noah. Chapter 9, verse 8. And God spake unto Noah. Do you know if you're walking with the Lord, the Lord will speak to you. I don't mean in an audible way. Sometimes people say that, don't they? Oh, God spoke to me and he told me to do this or that. He told me to leave my wife. No, he didn't. He never contradicts the word of God. We have this more sure word of testimony. Whenever God speaks, it's through his word to us. But a verse comes to us just at the right time, in the right place, on the right occasion. I had a number of instances of that in the last two weeks. A verse just came. I hadn't read it for weeks, months. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, a verse came, and that following day, it was just what was needed for the <coughs> The Lord spoke to Noah. He spoke to Noah because Noah walked with him. And if we walk with the Lord, this will be an intimate walk. If you speak with your wife, with your husband, we communicate often, well, even more with our master. We must speak often with him, and then he will speak often with us. An intimate walk. Do nothing to drive him away. If we sin, we'll stand back. There'll be a distance. We'll feel it. We'll know it. We need to walk more closely. I want to finish with an illustration I heard while I was away. It's about a man in India. This man had a tremendous testimony. He would go around his village, and he would go and offer to pray with each home. He wasn't a pastor, but he was a prayer warrior. 
And he took it upon himself to visit every home in this village, and he was greatly used. Many were converted through his testimony. The church grew, and every day he used all his time that he could, apart from his job and family, to go around the houses. And one day, he knocked or spoke into the door of the wealthiest man in the village. He went in, this man's wife was sick. Well, he prayed and asked the Lord to heal, and the Lord heard. He came back the next week and he said, my wife is wonderfully well, what can I do to pay? And the man said, no, 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 no. This isn't for payment. And I do this for the Lord. Well, he insisted and said, I want to pay. He said, no. Well, can I do anything to help you? Well, I have three sons, said the prayer warrior. And the first one needs a job. Do you know anybody? And he said, well, I own three businesses in the Middle East. And I can employ your son starting next Monday. So off he went. The son started sending the money back home said to his father, put another story on the house. So he did. That's what often happens in those countries. You build one story and you leave the steel exposed and then when you've got more money, you build another. And then the second son was offered a job. And so the money started to flow. One story, two stories, three stories. The house got bigger. And then there were more possessions. To do. His time began to get filled up, and his wife died. And the boys said, Well, you need a dog. You got a dog. And then the dog was lonely. So you got a second dog. Of course, the two dogs needed walking every day. The house had a break in and needed maintenance, and he couldn't go and pray anymore in the village. And what was worse than that, the dogs got lonely too. He couldn't go out on a Sunday evening. He could only go out once on the Lord's Day and soon this man was doing no prayer in the village. And the church went backwards. Well, it might seem a trite story, but it's very true. You can liken that to the situation here. I'm not talking but could we be no longer walking as closely with the Lord? The verse that I would turn to, to close, a familiar one. Micah 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of us? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Is that your walk tonight? Is it a close walk? As close as it should be? As close as it once was? Is it a humble walk? A walk in dependence upon the Lord who calls us to walk with him? Are we walking with our God? Do we know what it means to walk through life at all <coughs> with God as our companion? Or are we sitting, waiting, we have no companion in life. We don't know our God intimately. He 
cause us to walk with him in life, to walk humbly through life, and then we'll walk closely with him, and we'll know his smile, and his blessing, and his instructions, and his voice speaking to us through his word. This is the way. Walk therein. May we walk humbly with our God tonight, and know something of a closer walk. Our closing hymn tonight cannot be any other. 793, the hymn of William Cooper. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. May we sing this prayerfully tonight. 793. <clears throat>